Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. Welcome to the Spent the Rent Podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today, I think for like the fourth time, is Alan Zundel. Alan, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much for having me once again. I always enjoy talking to you. I didn't uh, give you a proper introduction. Alan is the host of his own podcast. It's called Political Dharma, and we'll talk about that at the end of this and where you can find that. It's, a, it's pretty awesome. You've done a couple different iterations, and, and we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, first of all, thanks again for being here. It's been really cool to get to know you over these last couple years. Uh, I think uh, the work that you do with Star Voting is super awesome, and I really hope that people uh, you know, take some interest in this because I think it could really change the, the face of, of politics in our area. So we're going to talk today, deep dive into Star Voting. I've covered it before in the past, but it's, it's uh, back. On, it'll be uh, on the ballot this next time. Is that correct? Or there's some steps in between. Uh, we're pretty sure we'll be able to get it on the ballot in Eugene again for next springtime, but we're hoping to also get it on the ballot statewide next year. In uh, But that's really dependent on how well the campaign goes. Right. So, you know, many of us are frustrated with a broken system, and yet every time there are proposals to change the balance of power, they never seem to get enough momentum to be implemented. Why do you think that is? You're talking about the political system, obviously, the, or maybe the entire thing, the political and economic system and all that. I think it's People all got fall, a lot of complaints. Yeah. yeah. I think it's all of kind of in chaos. So, I mean, what, about a lot of things. why do you think it what? is that any time that anybody proposes any change to the system that it never mm -hmm. seems to take, you know, to get any legs? Uh, there's a number of reasons. The principal one I would say is that the easiest thing for people to do when they get frustrated with the system is drop out. Right. That is just not vote, not pay attention, except maybe occasionally if you're really upset, you know, try to vote the other party and whoever's president, vote the other person. Uh, but they, it's a big lift to get involved politically and try to make change when the political system is against you in the first place. A system resists uh, resist change. Any system resists change. And the people who get into office are not the best proponents of changing the way people get into office. So I think uh, because of the nature of it, you're not going to get a lot of inside help. You got to go from the outside, which means you got a lot of get a lot of citizens involved and uh, getting people involved is the tough part. And that's why I'm here to talk. I right. want to try to encourage people to get a little more involved. So let's talk about star voting. Uh, first, I'm going to talk about, you know, I wanted to have you on to talk about a way, one way that we hope can pick up some steam and give voters a, voters a much bigger voice, and that's star voting. Uh, I just Googled the description for star voting, and it says, in star, voters are given a score ballot or ratings ballot on which each voter scores candidates with a number from zero up to five, 
with zero representing the worst and five representing the best. The scores for each candidate are then summed, and the two highest scored candidates are selected as finalists. Uh, is that a pretty fair description for the way that it's set up? Yeah, I, I would emphasize for the experience of the voter, the big difference between star voting and what they're familiar with is you get a ballot, list the candidates, but instead of just picking one, you can give a score to any of them, right. depending on how much you would like that candidate to win. So it gives you a chance to weigh in on more than one candidate. Like, I like this one the best. This one I'm so-so on. This one I don't like at all. Gives you a chance to do that. And then there's the counting process, how those scores translate into the winner. The big thing I always want to know with this is that is the goal to get this into an open primary? I mean, if this is implemented, would that put it into the primary or would this only be used or would it only be used in the primary and not in the general? Would it be used in just the general or would it be used in both? Well, it depends on how the language of an initiative is written and which election you're aiming at. For the Eugene, like the mayor and city council, it's already nonpartisan. So right. all candidates run together in one. And the way Star would change it is you'd get rid of the primary and they would all run in the general election and you could score each of the candidates instead of waiting for the general election and only have two choices. So you wouldn't have to have a primary at all. Right now we have an open primary in a sense for that. But statewide, it would maintain party labels. Um, the way we've written the initiative is you'd use star voting with the primary for each party. So the Democrats would use star voting to choose their nominee. Republicans would use star voting to choose their nominee. And then in the general election, all the parties have candidates and you use star voting to determine the winner. Um, there is a different measure being promoted, actually two measures, to create open primaries. I think more um, more technically, it would be called a unified primary because all the candidates, no matter what party affiliation and all the voters, no matter what affiliation, they all participate in the same primary. And then whichever two or four or five or however many go to the general election, depending on the system of voting you use and the way it's set up. There are folks that are backing a couple of measures to do that here in Oregon to create unified primaries for all the races. We have written the language in the star voting bill so that it's compatible with that if it passes. So you can use star voting in a unified primary, or if that doesn't pass, you could still use star voting in the traditional type of primaries we still have here in Oregon. So a couple states have already implemented this. I think it's Alaska is using a rank. They're using rank choice, and that's slightly You're different. You're talking about the, open, the uh, unified primary still? Well, I'm talking about just, just like, a they're, well, they're using rank choice. And rank choice, a lot of times star voting gets confused for rank choice voting. Ranking, would you would go, you can yeah. only give one person your your five you know points or that's whatever. Right. So it would go down. You have to, to rank them. I think that's a little bit more complicated for people because I think it makes it makes you have to make decisions on a whole order. You know, with... Star voting, you can vote for someone by giving them a zero. That's actually giving them zero support. So they're not going to get any points from you. So that's like basically saying, I do not want that person. And mm -hmm. then a five would be that you absolutely want that person. And then obviously somewhere in between, if not. But I also like the idea with, that with star voting that if you only want to use the standard kind of the old school way of voting, you just vote for one person and put five. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you only like one candidate or you only care about one candidate, you give them a five, you move on, you're done. Right. So it doesn't and doesn't force you to do any scoring. Right. It's simply the option. And it's particularly an option for people that would like to move outside of the two party system. They're not diehard supporters of one party or another. Or even if they are, 
pretty loyal to a party. There may be times when they prefer to vote for an independent or a minor party candidate or who knows. And a different type of system would give greater openings to those kind of candidates and those kind of parties to be more competitive. Right. They That's wouldn't have an artificial barrier to overcome with the two-party system. And a lot of people have already left the parties and, are, and, the, and then they complain because during the primary, they're like, there's no names on my ballot. They're shut out. And so we're I, really, we're talking about three things now that have come up. One is the star voting, another is ranked choice, and the other is the unified primary. And in Alaska, they actually combined a couple of those. So they have a unified primary plus ranked choice voting in the general election. Yeah. In California, they have a unified primary and a top two in the general election. Um, so it depends on where you're talking about and which system you're talking about. They can be combined in different ways, uh, but you can't combine star voting and ranked choice voting. Actually, star voting was combining ranked choice voting in a way with what's called score voting. So instead of ranking, you scores, but there's also an automatic runoff, just like in ranked choice voting, and the general idea is by scoring them, you're also showing a ranking, which is used in the automatic runoff. Right. So now, I mean, as far as the, the score, that's pretty obvious. Everyone knows how that works because we do yep. it on, on Yelp and Google and, and Applebee's or whatever. You give, them a, <laughs> you give them a rating, right? And so one through five. And so everyone knows how that system works. The one part that's been confusing for me is that there's rounds, right? Is that, is that true? Mm -hmm. There's rounds. So explain to me the process. So, so say that there's three candidates. Well, we won't muddy it too much, but there's more than two. So it's, it's a little bit more complicated. So there's three candidates and you uh, give one of them five, one of them three and one of them zero. Mm -hmm. I mean, how, yeah. Explain the rounds to me, how the whole setup <laughs> looks. I mean, there's I don't always know. only one, uh, two rounds. There's always only two rounds, one automatic runoff. With ranked choice voting, depending on the number of candidates and how well they do, you can potentially have multiple rounds, like going into dozens, um, which can be hard to follow when you're trying to figure yeah. out why the person ran. But with star voting, it's much simpler. First, you count up all the scores for each candidate, right? The two who got the highest cumulative scores go to the runoff round. The runoff round is not a separate election. You use the same ballots. You just count in those ballots which of the two finalists was preferred by more voters? One vote per person, depending on which one you scored higher. Like if I gave a five to one and a three to the other, my vote goes to the five, that I, the candidate I gave the five to. If I gave a one to one of the candidates and a zero to the other, my vote would go to the one. So the runoff enables every voter to have a say in the winner of the runoff round. And it yeah. would be majority by definition, pretty much. I, I love it because I'm somebody that does research the candidates uh, as much as I can. And sometimes I get a chance to talk to them, which is amazing. Right. You know, right. but but I like the idea. But I do I do think that for some people it's 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 conv convoluted and confusing. But it, I mean, the way you're breaking it down, it's pretty understandable, you know, and. Uh, so let's get some questions. I got chat GPT's, uh, my robot assistant, Gary wrote, <laughs> wrote some questions for me. Uh, uh, what benefits does star voting have offer over other voting systems? We kind of talked about that already, but how can it improve election outcomes and voter satisfaction in your mind? Yeah, well, it depends on which system you're comparing it to, but the system we're most familiar with is one in which you can only pick one candidate, right? When you go to vote that, leads to a two-party system because whenever you have a um, a new party or a party that has relatively limited support and you may prefer their candidate, you get afraid that 
the two big parties are one or the other is going to win. And if you vote for the candidate you really like, you may end up having the one you worst the your worst nightmare candidate yeah. win. So you want a way for people to be able to say, yeah, I like this candidate, but this one is better than that one too. It gives people people more of that option, which means that it breaks down the incentive structure of the two party system as well. People are now free to leave the two parties as as though they're encircled in a trap by them and vote for whichever candidates they really want to give their vote to. They really want to voice their opinion on. Uh, and as the two-party system starts to break down, now this is assuming candidates and parties become competitive. I mean, it doesn't automatically mean you're going to have third-party candidates winning. They still have to get votes. They sure. still have to get widespread support. Um, but it gives them the option, the opportunity, say, the opportunity to begin building that support. And eventually, you know, now money is less of a problem. It's still a problem, but you could easily see how if there's only two parties it's easy to buy off one or the other candidate or both right yeah you put money into determining who's going to win each primary you put money into the general election but if you don't know who's going to win if there's so many options you can't cover all your bases money has less influence i think um, i think the democratic primaries the last time around are, are a very good example of where there was a lot of candidates that people would have mixed support for right so like people would be and ironically a lot of the people i know that are democrats biden wasn't the choice they would want oh yeah you know yeah. he wasn't even at the top of the list and like he wasn't in the top four you know mm -hmm. and i mean obviously my my tightest circle is going to be you know bernie sanders number one elizabeth warren number one a you know maybe one b i mean real <laughs> close you know and and so for that run with all of those candidates pete Buttigieg, kamala harris joe biden elizabeth mm -hmm. warren i think that star voting would have been incredible because there yeah, was a well, lot you know during that 2020 presidential uh campaign i was part of a um demonstration a mock ballot of the various candidates that we held in san diego when i was down there visiting my kids uh and people loved it because they weren't limited to saying, well, who's a viable candidate and right. which one do I like among the viables? And if I like this one, is it going to get anywhere? Um, or maybe I should stick with the safe choice. Who's the most electable? They could render an opinion on all the candidates. Right. And like in the case where people are more progressive, they like both Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, they could still give high support to both of them and just by altering the scores by about one point, they could say which one they like better as well. Right. Now you have a long history with this. If anybody's followed my podcast from the beginning, which I, I doubt there's very many out there because it's oh, six no, years now. You're picking up more and more people all the time, it's, right? It's been a great thing to see the growth for sure. But you've been on multiple times and I had you on at one point to talk about your book uh, that was The History of the Green Party in the United States, which is an excellent <laughs> book. You can get that in uh, on Amazon in paperback. <laughs> and uh and and you know i loved what we talked about and and i know that this has been a lifelong work for you where you're kind of wanting to kind of knock at the door against this two-party system you know you ran yeah. was it was it secretary of state for oregon that you ran for, yeah. the, for the green party and yeah. i mean those we talked again about how difficult it is to get this smaller campaign to compete with the big money of the two major parties yeah. and so this is something that i know that coming from you know i don't know your affiliation as it stands today i think at one point you told me that you were what you consider to be a socialist libertarian <laughs> a libertarian socialist a libertarian yeah, there's socialist. no party for that but that that's a fair description and i think that that's where a lot of people sit and so uh 
you know, when you were working with the Green Party, where was I going with this? Basically, I want, you know, <laughs> the point I want to make is, is this is though you, you were running with the Green Party, when this started, when this whole star voting thing was spearheaded, what drew you to it was that it was kind of nonpartisan. Is that correct? Um, no, it was more fair. Right. I had been backing ranked choice voting for a long time. And in fact, when I ran for secretary of state, it was to promote ranked choice voting. But I knew there was problems with ranked choice voting as well. So it was better than what we got, but not ideal. And then when star voting was just invented in 2014, I came across it two years later and then was slowly <laughs> converted toward it. I think it's a much better system because it's simpler and it's more expressive than ranked choice voting. So in both cases, what was driving me is, I think I've told you before that I was a political science professor for a number of years. And I, had a, I got into that because I wanted to be more politically active and understand the political system and how to achieve a better world. You know, concerned about war and poverty and economic inequality and all these types of things. Climate change came a little later. <laughs> we were hearing about it back in the day, but uh, didn't seem that close as it is now. Right. Uh, so I wanted to make changes in it, but I kept coming across the fact that a two-party system is an obstacle to change, to fundamental change. People are seeing the need for change in a number of areas, but it seems like we're stuck in a rut. Both parties are parties of war, parties of lower taxes on the rich, um, parties of kind of the status quo, except that there's factions within each party that are trying to change things, but they don't have a lot of clout within each party, depending on which party you're talking about. Uh, so it's a system that was um, stymieing any attempt at reform. That's why I got into electoral reform, started with ranked choice voting, and then why I moved to star voting, because I think it is much better than ranked choice voting, and we really like to see it uh, put in place here in Eugene to demonstrate that. And I think in the nonpartisan races, it makes a lot of sense because it's it's pretty much, I mean, there's no it, there's yeah. no argument that people can make in that, that it's like, well, the two parties, you know, that's the setup. Uh, you had talked about some of the, the drawbacks and limitations of ranked choice voting and, and whatnot. Let's talk about some of the potential drawbacks or some of the criticisms that you've heard uh, specifically about star voting and how those can mm -hmm. be and how those can be addressed. Well, the one I hear most frequently is that... Uh, it's never been tried before, so how do you know it's going to work? And my answer to that would be, uh, it's not like inventing an entirely new thing. It's not like going from airplanes to rocket ships. It's like building a better airplane. So you know right. the principles of aerodynamics. You know the principles of construction. You know, you right. know all this kind of stuff, and you can apply it and pretty well predict how it's going to perform. Uh, and we've put it to the test in a number of cases, like Wright Brothers <laughs> flying their little machine. We've had a lot of small-scale uh, trials of star voting, and it pretty much performs the way we expect it to. So it's it's not entirely novel. It is new, but it doesn't rest on principles that are not well-known among people that have been following the differences between voting systems for, I mean, this has been going on for centuries where people looked at different ways of voting and talked about their pros and cons. So that's one. People say it hasn't been tried, how you know it's worked. Another one is people complain that it sounds complex. And I, it is more complex than what we do now in a way, because you have to, you don't have to, but you, it's an incentive to think through what you think of each of the candidates. And it is more complex in determining the winner. It's not just who gets the most votes, it's who got through this process of getting a lot of scores that add up and then being preferred by more voters in the runoff. Uh, yeah. So that is a little more complex. 
But I, I don't think it's impossible to understand. It's pretty simple if you just spend a few minutes thinking about it. Right. And that is a good segue into how, how people can find out more is at starvoting.org. Uh, yeah, and there's I'm sure isn't there like a way there's like a tool that people can kind of play with it to to see there's, oh, yeah. there's a ton of information and it's so thoroughly explained. I think the yeah, first would, go ahead. I would say go to starvoting.org if if you're here in Oregon and go up near the top there should be a red button that says sign up and that'll take you to a page where you can download uh, e-signature sheet print it off sign it and send it in that will help us with our petition to get star voting statewide for all the elections in Oregon, or you can volunteer for the campaign to go out and gather signatures or do other things to help the campaign, or you can donate money. Sure. So you can find all that stuff in the starvoting.org website. If you go to sign up, there's also a newsletter you can sign up for. Um, to keep track of the campaign. I've been keeping but up with it a little bit over the years and you guys have been working really hard, you know, and, and uh, I'm glad that it's coming back around. Now you had mentioned this being something that you want to do locally in, in Lane County or you citywide, Eugene, and also statewide. Uh, how would star voting, we've kind of touched on this, but how would star voting affect the political landscape in Oregon potentially? And would it benefit certain political parties or candidates more? Do you think that it would actually have the opposite effect? Or do you think, because I know that the fear with conservatives is that you're going to end up having two Democrats on the final ballot. Do you think that's true? <laughs> do you think that's true? I mean, if this was implemented in a red state or a blue state, do you think that it would give a balance or a, a, an uneven balance to the, to the candidates that are in the dominant party? Um, I don't think it's a party advantage. It really is. What it does is it elects the candidate that's closest to the central point for that electorate. So not the centrist necessarily, ideologically, but if you have a largely Democratic constituency, the candidate is going to be closest to what most of the constituents want. So if uh, the Republicans are not strong enough to get two people in the runoff, they should be uh, strong enough to at least have a say between which two candidates a win in the runoff. I agree. You know, so if you'd prefer a candidate who's a little less to the left of the other, that's the one you would give a slightly higher score to, to make sure that if it's two Democrats, you get the one you prefer, or at least do what you can to get that. So it really depends on the electorate and it's reflective of the electorate. Yeah. What I would say is it doesn't advantage alternative parties like the Green Party or the Libertarian Party, what it does is it takes away their disadvantage that they currently have. Sure. The system we have now is not um, fair to all parties and candidates, and this would be more fair if we implemented star voting. I agree, and I think that the issue that we're seeing, or at least what people seem to be complaining about, is is that we're electing extreme candidates. I don't think that's true on the Democratic side. I don't. I don't <laughs> care what anyone says. Uh, Joe and, Biden's an extremist. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The, the fact that you can call Joe Biden a socialist and have a straight face is ridiculous. <laughs> but but that's being said. And so I would hope that maybe this could kind of, you know, squash some of that. Uh, and, you know, it, no matter what you do, the parties are going to fight hard on this. I know that, you know, in 2016, the superdelegates, there's all kinds of stuff that, that, that is used and is designed to, to, to take the voice out of the voters' hands. And I think this puts it right back in it. So that's a good thing. Uh, Actually, here in Oregon, the state legislature now has a bill for bringing ranked choice voting to Oregon. And it has a lot of backing on behalf of the Democratic Party. I'm not sure where the Republicans are at with this, but I would think their voters would not be too happy because they blame ranked choice voting on 
electing a Democrat in Alaska, which has traditionally elected Republicans. Um, so I'm not sure how it'll fare in the legislature, but even if they pass it, it's going to be very hard to implement because of the complexities of tabulating ranked choice ballots. And we want to keep star voting in the conversation. So that's why we're doing a statewide initiative. If for some reason ranked choice voting doesn't get through or it gets through and they're not able to implement it or it has a lot of problems, I think it's good for people to know that there is an alternative. So, that, so then you're saying that ranked choice is already kind of in the works. The goal is to have this on the 20, 2024 ballot for star voting? The star voting, yeah, 2024. And so when would the implementation of ranked, if, if it went through, ranked choice voting would be in effect before that, theoretically? Uh, theoretically, but I don't see how they can do that because they're going to have to change the, the computer um, counting mechanisms, the, the software, and maybe even change the actual physical tabulator uh, scanners and all that. Um, because ranked choice voting is a comp more complex system. And you can't, like in Maine, the only way they could count ballots from across the state when they made ranked choice voting uh, apply for statewide elections, they had to physically transport all the ballots to the same location in order to count them. Wow. You couldn't just count them in precinct by precinct or county by county and then sum up the totals. Whereas with rank, uh, star voting, you could do that. So I think even if it passes, um, it's going to take time to implement it because they have to change voting equipment and make all kinds of adjustments for it. Uh, so I don't see it happening in the very near future. And you got to leave time for Rudy Giuliani to be able to count it. You know, he's, he wants, that's to, right. He we, wants we to see make it. sure he comes in right. and checks. Right. We got to give him access to our voting machines so he can check whether they're working properly. I don't know if you see the news that's coming out now about, uh, I mean, it's, it's, an, it's obvious, but the dominion, stuff with fox news it's pretty no. it's pretty wild that they were admitted knowingly admitted you know they were knowingly lying to their people i mean it's all we knew this this is none of this is secret you know i mean you and i have talked about a lot of this stuff over the over the years we talked about all the proud boy stuff and i think we've been kind of right on a lot of these predictions of where things were heading yeah. so if only uh, more people listen to us <laughs> right so now would this also include I, we, we talked about the primary part uh you know okay so We've kind of already gone over it, and I just want to—I just want to make sure we drill this home. What has to happen, you know, for this to actually get implemented? So, where are we at with it? You said that we need signatures. We need like six thousand signatures. Is that correct? In Eugene, I'd have to double check on the numbers. They're in the thousands. Um, we we actually we we did an initiative in Lane County, got it on the ballot, and it narrowly failed. But we looked at the votes in Eugene, and if we had concentrated on Eugene, we would have passed. Okay. That was back in 2018. Right. So two years later, we did an initiative in Eugene. We got enough ballots, uh, enough signatures to get it on the ballot, but then the county clerk disqualified some of those signatures. We came back and proved the signatures were valid, but they said they had no mechanism for reversing their decision. It ended up in court. So there is a possibility that the Oregon Supreme Court will make a decision to put star voting on the ballot for Eugene before we even finish wow. this campaign. Sure. Uh, but yeah, we we in in this summertime we're going to be gathering signatures specifically for Eugene between like June, the beginning of June, and three months June, July, August uh, to get it on the ballot here in Eugene, and then it would appear on the ballot in. Um, 2024 early spring 2024 now with the statewide initiative we got to get a lot more signatures uh we got to get it in the realm of 150,000 wow. and we are 
right now starting to collect signatures. We, we collected them in the earlier in the summer because you need a certain number to get the attorney general to review it and make sure everything is constitutional and legal and there's room for people to challenge it. Uh, but we got through that process. Now we got the signature sheets. We can resume getting signatures and we're doing that now. And we especially want people in parts of Oregon outside of Eugene to help us with gathering signatures because we're going to hold off in Eugene because we don't want to confuse people with two ballot measures at different times. Right. Um, so we want to collect for both of them when the Eugene campaign is going on here. But in other places like out in Springfield or Junction City or Cottage Grove or even further out Astoria, Portland, everywhere else, we'd like to find people that are willing to help with this, either getting signatures from friends and family or making people aware of the campaign and how they can download a signature sheet, and mail it back to us or whatever way they can help where they are. Um, because it's going to take a lot of volunteers. Yeah. And I think your question was about how do we get it done? Yeah. We need a lot of volunteer help. Okay. So, so starvoting.org is a place to go, uh, and, and download that. That's that, you know, during the, the quarantine and, and in 2020, uh, that was what we had to do to get any type of signature is everything was <laughs> downloaded because there wasn't people on the streets doing it, you know? And so, uh, I think that's a really good method so that people can kind of just not be bothered on the road when they're walking, because I know it's effective. <laughs> the signature signers, the people out there uh, making a quarter a piece or whatever. Not it is. everybody is comfortable talking to the public, especially now, especially now there's a lot of people that are varying, varying levels of xenophobia because of the COVID stuff. And so uh, <laughs> it's been an interesting couple of years. Uh, so before we get out of here, I wanted to talk about uh, your person, your podcast on, and YouTube show. Uh, so you were doing you, you uh, were doing one before that was called Alan on politics. And then, uh, and then you just decided to, to throw in the towel and then you decided <laughs> to come back around. And I know that you love doing this. Uh, and so now your show is called political Dharma. I wanted you to tell me what made you come out of retirement. And then what is the name political Dharma referring to? <laughs> um, <laughs> well, the show has been through a number of iterations and as you know, I don't just like to talk about politics and social change. I like to be active. So each iteration of the show has been a part of a plan to try to make social change happen in one way or another, yeah, especially to find ways to get around the two-party system. Uh, so the first iteration was Social Advance, and we had a Oregon News show um, in order to attract attention. And we wanted, we hope to get people from different parties together around a common agenda. Um, eventually, COVID knocked that show off because there's three of us working on it and we couldn't get together so easily. Um, and then I just did it by myself under the name Alan on politics, where I would talk about politics. And again, the agenda was kind of the same to talk about my ideas, my interests, and hopefully reach people that had similar interests and find a common way forward. Um, I left that because I wanted to be a little more active. And um, I, I tried to talk to people about this idea of a multi-party or a cross-party alliance and found some difficulty in getting people to um, accept or conceptualize that because people people who are politically active already kind of have baked into them some position on the parties. Like either I'll never vote for them right. or, you know, I'm only going to vote for this. I'm never going to, you know, whatever it is. Um, so it's hard to get people beyond that. And beside that, I... Uh, got really involved in the star voting campaign when yeah. we first started it up, and that took time away. Now, why I started this one under the name Political Dharma is a whole another story. <laughs> uh, I decided I'm getting older, 
and I have all these ideas about how, how to create social change and uh, philosophy of that. And I decided I better put them on the record somewhere in case I don't make it much farther. I turned 70 this year and that's, uh, you're doing good. We need, we need you. So, so you, you can't leave yet, but, uh, I, think, I, I know I look a lot younger than I am, but, um, <laughs> I think that's cool that you're documenting it though. Cause I think that you've done a lot of work and I think that, uh, you know, sometimes things are gauged by victories and campaigns and victories and uh-huh. elections and all that stuff. And that's not all it is. I mean, we're, it's a big, it's a big pie and there's, and a lot of people have a piece of, you know, their slice of how they kind of add to it. And I, th- I, I really enjoyed your book and I've read like four books. So, <laughs> so that was cool. Uh, and again, I mean, I, life, I, reckon. I recommend, um, you know, people at least following your, your YouTube channel. That's probably the best way to find it. And then the podcast is also on, on audio versions on, on Spotify right. and Apple podcasts and all that good stuff. So let me explain the name you asked about that. Sure. Yeah. Dharma is a, a Sanskrit term that has a number of meanings, but essentially means like the law of the universe, the order of the universe, and the wisdom that should guide us in our lives. Uh, So political dharma essentially means, you know, this is talking about seeking wisdom in our social activism and looking towards the thinking of people in the past and present and critiquing it and analyzing it and sometimes combining it and talking about what's been tried and what hasn't been tried and how we could move forward. So it's really giving my thoughts on all that. And ideally what I'd like to do is someday get together people around a political party that has ideas similar to the ones I hold and then um, have a political system that was open to alternative parties. Right. Um, So those have been my goals for decades. And uh, I decided I better start talking a little more forthrightly about exactly what I think and believe rather than aligning myself with one movement or another, this, you know, this is where I stand in general, sure. philosophically and uh, politically. I think that what people have done wrong when it comes to, you know, with, everyone's always like, Oh, the division, the division. I think what people do wrong is that they're not willing to hear a perspective. You know, it's like, yeah. it's like, it's like we should have a perspective and, and there's certain issues I'm sure that obviously that are super high emotion, you know? And so it's a little bit harder to just hear a, uh, what you would consider cringy opinion. But I think it's really important that we listen to each other so that we can learn and kind of create some kind of hybrid, you know, as a society next week, I'm going to be having on, uh, a, this is going to be the first I'm going to have a Republican politician. Everybody's been telling me to do this. I'm going to make sure to watch that one. Yeah. Everybody's been telling me to do this. And they're like, why don't you have conservatives on my main reason that I haven't in the past is because, I'm like, well, most of the candidates that I'm having on or politicians, I'm, I'm trying to help them. I'm, I'll, I'll be the first to admit this. I'm trying to give exposure to smaller candidates, you know, the Doyle cannings of the world, people like that. I don't know why I would take my time to promote candidates that I didn't support, you know? And so people, people have said they want to see that. That's what sells the fight. And I'm like, I'm not going to do that though. And I think there's a <laughs> lot of people that don't want to see that. So my goal next week is to talk about finding common ground, you know, and I'm just hoping that it's going to be with Alan Stout, who who ran uh, against John Lively in the state Senate in Springfield. Mm. And that's a tough undertaking for any Republican because John Lively has been in office for a very long time and, and he's pretty mm. beloved in, in Springfield. And But Alan Stout's a pretty decent dude. I met him at the fair and and we talked and I, I felt like he would come at me in good faith. We'll see what it, it looks like on a recording. Uh, but I'm excited that he's going to do that and, and agree to it. And so I'm hoping that this is the start of something positive where, mm-hmm. you know, 
I don't see myself ever having a David Lovehall on my podcast, you know, because I think that dude is, he's got skin in the game, whatever the F that means, <laughs> you know, but uh, this is a step. This is a step. You can tell me. some politicians are willing to talk a little more honestly and reflectively. Others are not. As I, you say, they just, they're in it for the fight. Um, and that what gets people's ire up, makes them passionate about supporting them and uh, gets them a lot of attention. But it's, it's really detrimental to our social well-being yeah we need to be able to just have it you know i was talking about it today it's like we can have empathy for someone we disagree with and we can have empathy even if they lose where we won that exchange you know mm -hmm. like say that there's a like for example i've got a really good friend of mine he's a sponsor on my shows jake williams he is uh the owner co-owner of subdermal art collective he is an absolute second amendment second amendment absolutist you know mm -hmm. and we disagree on that but that being said i admire him and with like the 114 where he's like i don't like the way that this is written i actually feel empathy for him <laughs> you know like even though i want there to be changes with guns i didn't like that bill that's a whole different thing but i i really truly feel like man that it, i don't want to see people just so mad so angry with government i want it to reflect them and i want it to reflect us as a whole now that's a tall task and it's almost impossible to actually do but well, I mean, but that's embedded in our way of thinking about government here is that it's not something separate from us. It really is us yeah. coming together, electing people to represent us. We want to get closer to that ideal instead of, you know, thinking the problem is different types of people. It's the system. Yeah. That's what socialists always say. It's the system, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think a lot of people are frustrated and I, it'd be interesting to see uh, with these different voting techniques, whether it's ranked choice, which we would be mm -hmm. okay with, you know, but star voting, in my opinion, is infinitely better. I mean, it's, it's a lot better than ranked choice because I think it's a lot more simple, you know, and like you said, the rounds, I mean, in New York, it's like, it's impossible to actually understand how that went, you know, mm -hmm. how Eric Adams won and it just feels like, oh, we'll let you know on Tuesday. You know, kind of thing. And yeah. I think people don't like that, you know, because and it can be a lot of delays. But then again, they don't like it if, if they can't understand why Joe Biden got more votes than Barack Obama, for example, even though more people voted than ever. So, I mean, no matter what you do, the losing team is, is always going to cry foul a little bit. And especially if Unless you feel like the system is fair. I mean, yes. really, I don't know. Any not getting more people in, uh, to vote your way. It's, it's getting people to believe your way. Right. And that's the way it should be. Let's persuade each other and uh, you know figure out how other people think so we can make a better case to them rather than just trying to beat each other bloody over the head someone said to me about politics they said that in today's world everybody just wants to dunk on each other <laughs> and i thought that that was like the perfect explanation it's like everyone's like bah! they just want to dunk mm -hmm. on each other and nobody's actually trying to hear each other and all that stuff and, and it's just so frustrating but there's a lot of people in in lane county that i truly believe are are good people that are willing to work with people across the aisle. There's there's some def decent you know conservatives. I know that uh, what's his name on city council and Eugene is a decent man. Uh, Mike, oh gosh, he did my refinance. <laughs> but uh, you know, there's just good people. I think Mike Clark. I Mike, Clark. Mike Clark is a good dude. You know what I'm saying? There's good people. Then I and I, I I've learned a lot from this podcast about how we need different voices, especially on boards, because you need to have perspective. You know, mm -hmm. and that's a lot of times when people have the. Uh, identity politics comes into play. It's like, yeah, because we want to hear what people, you know, at least a representative from each group could, could would say about certain things because a lot of times it's going to get ignored. So I think that there is some positive change happening, but star voting is something that I really think can, like I said before, 
you know, give a bigger voice to the voter. And, I, and that's why I'm on board with it. So to anybody listening, go to starvoting.org, find out more. And then for you to find for to find you on YouTube, is it just Alan Zundel? You can search for Alan Zundel. You could, or you can search for political Dharma. I also have a website that I just put up, politicaldharma.com. It'll take you to the Facebook page where you can comment on my videos. It'll take you to the YouTube channel if you want. It'll take you to the um, the various podcast platforms that I publish on. So I, I put it all, I'm trying to put it all in one place so people can find it more easily, politicaldharma.com. Awesome. Well, Alan Zundel, thank you so much. It's always a treat to get to chat with you. Uh, I will be keeping up with star voting and what's happening with that. And I will, you know, do some updates for the listeners. You're always welcome on the podcast. Any topic you want to talk about, even if it's not political, uh, it's, it's not always a treat, <laughs> right? It's always a treat to chat with you and I appreciate you. Yeah. Good to see you again. We got one more comment real quick. Uh, Chris McAllister, <laughs> Chris McAllister, shout out to Chris McAllister. He says, Alan is awesome. A local leader and scholar. I definitely agree with you, Chris. Uh, and thank you, Chris, for the work that you do. Chris, uh, you're in Springfield. You're you're somebody that that is absolutely appreciated. The work you do for the houseless community yeah. is incredible. Yeah, so, he is a local leader as well, and he's a scholar. You know, maybe yeah. he doesn't have my academic credentials, but he may have a better brain. <laughs> you know, it's know. it's so cool to see that it's people that are really established. I had Leonard Stare on the podcast, and he was talking about. I'm going to tell a quick story and then we'll get out of here. But but he was talking about the episode that I did with uh, Devin Lawson, who is a 16-year-old who was pushing mm -hmm. to lower the voting age to 16. And mm -hmm. Leonard openly said, I think that kid actually knows more about passing legislation than I do. And he's on city council. And I thought that was really cool. So this is a funny little story about ChatGPT and the power that it could, could wield, which is a little scary. And I don't know if I want to admit this, but I'm going to. And <laughs> so basically... Uh, Devin Lawson messages me and says, Hey, my ballot measure is going to go to hearing. Uh, are you, are you in support of it? And I was like, I don't know, honestly, like it's, I support you as a human being because you're so awesome. But as far as supporting this, uh, you know, lowering the voting inch to 16, I'm not sure. And they said, what can I do to convince you? And I, I read their, their explanations again one time. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to support this, but I didn't really want to take the time to write it. So what I did is I just went on chat GPT and I said, Hey, <laughs> write a write a uh, persuasive argument in favor of um, you know implementing a, the vo lowering the voting age to 16 in Oregon and it brrr, printed it out copy paste send it off there you go I hope you proofread it oh of course I did <laughs> and I added stuff and took stuff off but it's a crazy world that we live in because what this it does is. is that is the arguments that it made were super sound and I, I, it was what I would have said. I don't know if it's something that I should be super proud of, and I'll just. I'm, but I'm transparent about this. And maybe we should make those computers in charge of the government. Well, you know? maybe oh, hey, there's a, there's a there's a there's fix, fix the problem. Yeah, <laughs> maybe you know that this the, the not not obviously not truly, but like these tools about what is fair. I think that something that's impartial, like a computer, might actually might actually be able to do some pretty incredible things. So it'll be interesting well, to see what becoming, the future holds. Uh, we're becoming antiquated as as beings. Human beings are old news. Yeah, the the chat GPT, what it's going to do is basically it's going to prove that the human brain is becoming obsolete. I mean, at a certain point, creativity at least. But I think that it's a really useful tool as long as you're not using it to cheat on your homework. But uh, <laughs> Which you so, just did. <laughs> right, right, right. I, hey, you know, I want to give a shout out to Katie Deatley. Uh, I'm, I don't think I'm saying that right, but Katie, hey, she left a comment and it didn't say anything, but I just want to say, hey, shout out to Katie. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Alan Zendel, we're going to get out of here. Thank you so much.
<laughs> sure. See you again. So we're going to end this with a song. This is a throwback to the old school Eugene punk band Short Round. This is the song As They March. Impeccable prison lifestyle, cold as yeah.